The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And the other, the other piece that you talked about, um, how in the Whole Foods, you know, like high definition and, you know, like just seeing so much, um, seeing, seeing the... Uh, basically, mindfulness does this when we settle into that receptive kind of mindfulness I've been talking about um, so much this week, you know, that rather than going out to try to be mindful of something, in a, in a mode where mindfulness is receiving experience, it highlights a lot. It's like it, our minds, the process of mindfulness, can see way more than we could consciously choose to do. And sometimes it creates that quality of like high definition and, and that like, I remember one time I had been sitting with someone who was dying and, um, and I came out of that. I was just, I was sitting there and I was, uh, you know, being with her and doing some metta and, um, and then when I left, it was like I walked out of the, the building and I, I was actually walking down University Avenue in Palo Alto. And it was like everything had a line around it. It was like things were so sharp. And um, that's partly a, a, a sign of concentration. But in this case, it's, it's like it's not the concentration. It's not the one-pointed concentration. It's the concentration of the continuity of mindfulness. And so it can have that quality of uh, things feeling kind of sparkly sometimes. It has that quality of sparkliness or high definition. It's like, wow, things really pop out. One thing I'd like to, to say about that particular piece is that um, um, we can uh, uh, almost... have that experience or, or think of that experience as being a signal of good mindfulness in a way. You know, it's like the, the, um, as I said, it's, it's a symptom in a way of the continuity of mindfulness, that kind of high definition experience or sparkling experience. Um, and yet, it's a symptom of the continuity. It is not the continuity. And it is not always a symptom of the continuity. There are other times when um, we do have continuous mindfulness. And, you know, what it seems is just completely ordinary. So the reason I say this is because sometimes it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a forward pointer or something, you know. Sometimes we use these symptoms as kind of signposts. Yes, on the right road, going the right way. And if we don't see those symptoms, we think I failed somehow. You know, it's like things seem really ordinary. I must be doing it wrong. How can I do it better so that I get that sparkliness? And um, sometimes it's not sparkly. (laughs) So that's just a kind of a, uh, 
there's, there's several, you know, experiences that we have in meditation where we sometimes mistake the, um, what we can call the symptoms or the results of uh, certain, I don't know, and, and to, I don't quite know how to put this. Uh, we sometimes mistake the, the symptoms for the... Um, the depth of the state. And what I've seen in my own practice and in hearing from other people is that the depth of the states, really, there's so many different kinds of experiences we have that if we are looking for one experience, we may be missing the depth of another experience. And so this, again, just keep letting go of any ideas of what it should be, what it's supposed to be, how it should be, if I'm being continuously mindful. So, um, oh, another piece about that. Uh, something else flitted through. Oh, yes. Uh, um, I'm not sure if this is what's happening, really, but it has seemed to me that the longer I practice the more ordinary that continuity of awareness seems. And, um, you know, if we're... It, it, it may be something we all have to go through, kind of. It's kind of like we get go through a place where we get bereft of those sparkly things. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just ordinary, you know? It's just ordinary. What's wrong? It's like, there's nothing wrong, actually. And it, it, it kind of... It like leads to a deeper level of uh, letting go, in a way. Um, and so it seems to me that some of those symptoms, in particular in, 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 particular in daily life, some of those symptoms of um, continuous mindfulness, the concentration, some of those symptoms um, happen because we're unfamiliar with the state of more continuous mindfulness. And then as the mind gets more familiar with it, it becomes more ordinary in a way. It's, it's like anything that the mind hasn't experienced initially, the mind will kind of go, oh, that's interesting. Let's, let's look at that. And, and, and the more familiar it gets with it, the more it, it uh, you know, it just kind of lands in that space. So, um, yeah, that's just a, a piece about that kind of high definition thing. Uh, and then the other piece you said about um, the, you know, the, the recognition of, look at all this food, and, you know, we're importing water from Italy, and people are dying, you know. Uh, it is easy to go out that doorway, um, and go into a judgmental rant. And that's aversion. And yet, to ignore the truth that underlies that is delusion. So, you know, there, there's a delicate place of um, opening to the truth of, yes, look at all this stuff, and there is the... 
uh, truth that there, I mean, it's like sometimes it's just like these things pop into our minds, the contrast of the wealth in this country and the, the destitution in other parts of the world. And, you know, that, that opening to that, when the heart is open rather than contracted, compassion, compassion both for the, um, the people who are dying and destitute and don't have food and don't have water and compassion for the confusion of the culture that thinks it's their right to have this. So it, it doesn't have necessarily that judgmental thing. Um, so, you know, when you see that judgment, and we talked about this a little bit the other day of, you know, those judgments anything, any kind of struggle, any kind of suffering, any kind of aversion, any kind of wanting, often is, uh, you know, if you come back to the middle of it, there's some piece of truth that is um, basically being reacted to. And so that there is that truth that there is inequality in the world. There, it's a truth that there is suffering in the world. And so to when we see those thoughts, those judgmental thoughts, it's kind of like, can we recognize, not just say, okay, yes, I see that's taking me down the garden path of judgment and aversion. That's not helpful. But can we open to the truth that's underneath it and, and see if we can open our hearts to um, the suffering of the world, basically, without the added aversion? It's kind of a paradox in a way that we can do that, that that, 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 that um, opening of the heart to suffering can be without aversion. And when, you know, when we can open to that without aversion, there's a, a, a responsiveness that can arise that isn't coming from that anger and that confusion, but coming from compassion, coming from wanting to support, wanting to uh, alleviate suffering. So um, just to, an encouragement to not necessarily like say, you know, the whole thing, you know, to, to think, well, because I'm going down the path of judgment, I shouldn't think about the underlying truth. So... Um, Um, so the question around in what we were just discussing around the arising of aversion the question of where does the sense of self or the selfing fit in to that and how does it serve my needs to have aversion okay um Wow. I have no idea how long I'm going to talk for here. (laughs) This is opening many, many uh, avenues of response. So, So first of all, um, a couple of pieces to kind of put a big picture around it. Um, The word selfing, you asked. You don't know. If, you said you didn't know if that's a recently coined term. Um, 
the Buddha called it eye-making and my-making. And so that, from that standpoint, it, is not, you know, it was coined in the, in the time of the Buddha. He didn't, I mean, it's rarely translated as selfing in the text, but eye-making and my-making. Um, it's uh, the term um, uh, conceiving, Mana, um, um. anybody remember David? Conceit, no. Uh. Okay, I think it's ma- mana. The poly. Um. So the other kind of the, the the kind of big picture around selfing is that. When there is suffering, when there is a sense of mm, contraction, um, that process of the creation of suffering is the same process as the creation of selfing. The uh, teaching called the teaching of dependent origination basically points to this. It, it is the, uh, sometimes described as the, how suffering arises, and sometimes it's called the wheel of becoming. Um, it basically is it, the identical process in terms of the creation of suffering or the creation, as the, as, as the creation of self. So the arising of aversion is the arising of self. The arising of greed is the arising of self. And sometimes th- one of the key things I think people in the, the selfing teaching is people look for, well, what is the sense of self here? Um, and what's most obvious is the feeling of contraction or, you know, the, the craving or the aversion. And so one of, the, one of the things I think is a little bit of a mistake is to try to figure out what the sense of self is because what's obvious there is the suffering. And when you're studying suffering... When you're exploring suffering, you are exploring the self. But it's like you're exploring it from what's the obvious piece. So you're exploring the, the, um, the contraction of aversion. And what begins to happen as we explore the suffering, it's like the suffering is the, it's the same process, but the suffering is the most obvious sign of selfing, we could say. Suffering is the most obvious sign of selfing. We will experience the selfing, I mean the suffering, and may not really be clear about what the selfing is that's underneath it. And so to try to figure out what the selfing is underneath it is putting us into the mode of concept and ideas. And I I see this happen a lot that, you know, people... um, are trying to figure out the self in the middle of it. And really what they're experiencing is anger. It's like, you know, hang out with the anger. Get to know the anger. Once you, you know, you explore the aversion, you explore the craving, the, the symptom of suffering is um, what's most obvious. And as you explore that symptom of suffering and it begins to become clear, it begins to, we begin to see the whole, how it's put together. You know, sometimes we may see in that process, occasionally, we might see in that process uh, the 
construction of that aversion from a core sense of self. Sometimes, sometimes not. We don't actually have to see that in order for a lot of that aversion to release. And so that's the first piece I want to put out there is that um, suffering, selfing, same process, go with what's obvious in terms of the actual exploration. Um, Because so much our uh, trying to use the teachings to find something in the middle gets all confused up with agendas, opinions, ideas, rather than, okay, what's actually happening is aversion. That's what's going on. So that's one part. And then... um, The, let's see. The question about how does it serve me to have aversion? (laughs) You know, it's like when we start to see, when we start to see just how unpleasant aversion is, it's like, why on earth would my mind do this? I was like, what does it think it's getting out of this anyway? <laughs> um, and this is, this, is, this is part of how the practice unfolds, right? I mean, we see the aversion and it's like, huh? <laughs> you know, wh- why, does, why, why have I done this so much in my life? Well, partly we've done this so much in our lives because we haven't seen the suffering of it. This is what mindfulness reveals. Mindfulness opens us to recognize the underlying suffering of our familiar strategies in life. Um, I used I used this picture yesterday of these two hills. <laughs> you remember that? And since we're recording now, I'll see if I can do this without the actual. <laughs> visual aid. <laughs> um, so our usual way of living in the world, we have learned strategies that bring us some measure of happiness. And um, this process of I or me or mine seems to be kind of it's it's an afterthought you know it's it's not the guiding force in life <laughs> uh the guiding the guiding principle of an organism seems to be towards well-being and um in in our conditioning and living our life this process of this organism has learned that certain actions and activities will bring little bits of well-being here and there. And um, that sense of self gets kind of caught up in that process. And it's kind of like, because 
you know, there is this, this process of choice, of choosing, of uh, making decisions. You know, that seems to be a lot of where the sense of self gets caught up in. One of the big places that the sense of self gets caught up in is I'm choosing, I'm deciding, I'm doing. I can affect change in my life by making decisions. This is a huge area of delusion around I am actually doing that. Um, and so in our conditioning in our lives, we have discovered that there are certain choices that bring us little bits of well-being. What, you know, it's like the, the experience, as I said, I think I said this yesterday, the experience of being in control feels good. The experience of having the uh, sense of Yes, I can affect change in my life. I can do this. I, there's, a, there's a sense of uh, the, the, it's sort of like the, the, the body, the, the mind and body can relax to a certain level with that sense of being in control. It can't ultimately relax because that sense of being in control is not in alignment with the reality that things are ultimately not in our control. Uh, but there is a kind of a relaxation that happens when we have that, ah, oh, I figured it out, I can do this, I'm in control. And so that uh, process of selfing is um, caught up in that belief that I can be in control. And that, I think, is one of the big reasons or areas why um, you know it feels like aversion, why aversion is connected to that sense of self. You know, it's like aversion, there's something out there that is unpleasant. Aversion is, um, you know, a response to that unpleasant experience. And the sense of self around that aversion is, I can fix this, I can change that. I can be in control of this. Um, And when... It's proven, actually, <laughs> that we can't. Boy, aversion gets even worse. So, you know, aversion is, is a kind of a, a signal that in some ways our, our um, sense of self is uh, being thwarted. <laughs> and... Um, so it's actually a great, it's, you know, we think when, when, when something is out of our control, it's like, it's a failure. We, we feel like we failed. And yet, when we really uh, look at what's going on there, it's actually, from the perspective of the practice, it's a great uh, opportunity to begin to see the truth you know, it's not my fault that I can't control things. It's the nature of reality. Um, so, you know, the, I don't know if that's... Is that enough? Yes. <laughs> I'll stop. Thank you. It's I'll very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Keith, record this. Uh, so, yeah, the, um, the phenomenon of... Um, uh, you know, having seen the mindfulness and the kind of the enthusiasm at the beginning of the week of uh, 
being with the, the, the project happening regularly through the day and like, yeah, mindful, aware of that and, you know, remembering. And more recently, the, you know, the enthusiasm seems to be wearing off, but also it seems to be a kind of an active not wanting to be mindful. So you, re- you remember, it's like, oh, don't want to be mindful, forget it, you know. Well, first thing I want to point out is that you are already mindful <laughs> when you're trying to forget it. So, too late. <laughs> it's already happened. Um, now, what's going on there, it sounds like, is that the mind doesn't want to pick up mindfulness and keep doing it. And that is one of the huge things that we explore in our daily life practice. And... Um, um, and I'm wondering a little bit if earlier in the week you were, you were picking it up and actively, actively doing it. Um, I mean, subjectively, yeah, or you know, what I understood to be doing it anyway. So um, often that very uh, activity in daily life, I mean, in, in retreat, in our sitting practice, it's a different game, in effect. I mean, you're, you're carving out these times to say, you know, the main thing I have to do here is, is be mindful. And um, in our work situation, one of the main things we have to do is do our work. And so if we are trying to pick up mindfulness as something to do, it's like, not. I mean, sometimes it's like, yeah, we actually are enjoying the activity, and it's like we feel like somehow... Mindfulness is the way of the enjoy in, in the enjoyment. Mindfulness is in the way of the enjoyment of that activity, um, or that if I am going to be mindful, I can't be doing that activity. Um, and so that's like that's that's a misunderstanding in a way of what mindfulness is, and that's what that's one of the things that we explore in daily life practice. You know, so a thing to to, to explore in that place is rather than thinking of doing mindfulness, it's like. Mindfulness has arisen already. Yeah, there it is. It's, it's there. And um, rather than trying to somehow keep it going intentionally, it's almost more like riding the wave of that mindfulness that has arisen. And, and be curious, how might it be possible to actually continue with this work, do it exactly as I was do it, would do it, and see if mindfulness can like ride on the back of that. It's possible. It's possible. Um, that, um, again, we, we often have the idea that certain activities, mindfulness, can't happen at the same time. And that is true if what we are doing is directing the mindfulness. But the mindfulness can be just like a mirror, just completely reflecting. And, and often I think one of, the, one of the things that happens is as we start to learn about mindfulness, we do learn about it through choosing what we're going to be mindful of. And, um, and then we conflate being mindful with that activity of choosing what we're going to be mindful of. And so a lot of what I point to in the daily life practice is more of a receptive mindfulness, non-directed not choosing, more like, here I am, what's here? <laughs> you know, and so that, that kind of mindfulness, that receptive mindfulness, can begin to infiltrate anything, including computer programming. <laughs> so 
Um, I mean, I think part of what your mind is saying there is, you know, that, that kind of sense of don't want to do the mindfulness. It's, it's saying, I don't want to do that kind of mindfulness. I don't want to pick that up. It's, it's, it's equivalent in a way to saying, like, I, I'm going to pick up that backpack of mindfulness and carry it around with me. It's kind of heavy. But the, the quality of that reflecting power, and, and that reflecting power is just like, it's, it's here. It's here already. And it can simply reflect whatever is happening. And so rather, you know, rather than trying to do it, it's kind of curiosity. How might, it, how might it reflect this? And if you lose it, no problem. You know, just try again the next time. You know, it's just like, just keep that sense of how might it be possible as a question in the mind. And, you know, yeah, let it go. I often say that, actually, for daily life practice. You, you, you notice that moment of waking up and then... Let it go and keep go on with your day. You might in that in that letting it go and going on with you. If it's not the shove it aside, forget it. I don't want to be mindful. If it's just like oh, it's there and let me continue with my day. You might get a sense of that. The momentum of that mindfulness carry into going on with your day. So that's just a kind of a a reframing a little bit of what you've talked about. There's one more piece there somehow. Um, I was going to use an analogy. I've used this analogy a lot before. Um, and it's about the momentum of mindfulness. So, so probably at least half of you have heard this before, so bear with me. <laughs> um, you know, the, the mindfulness... the kind of mindfulness we're cultivating in daily life, it really, it is a, really about those, you know, those moments of waking up. And um, there's, and, and beginning to recognize those. And it sounds like they're fairly frequent in your, in your case, if you're remembering like 10 times an hour when that activity happens. Um, and, you know, the familiarity of that popping into being of mindfulness um, gives us a sense of the experience of being awake. I talked about that the other day, the difference between being lost and being awake. And we can... So that that experience of being awake not only um, highlights that awakeness when it happens, that moment of waking up, but also helps us to get familiar with the experience of, like, that being aware as things are already unfolding. And it kind of feels like, like I said, a wave of mindfulness. It's like uh, mindfulness has arisen and it's got a certain momentum in the arising of that. It's like, um, I, I use the analogy sometimes of riding a scooter with mindfulness. And, you know, the, the, when, we, when kids ride the scooter, you know, you, you have to actively, you know, tap and get the scooter going but then after a while you don't have to tap anymore and the scooter is just going and you get you get a sense of like what it's like to ride on that scooter and when that scooter gets a little wobbly you know you get a feeling of the wobbliness of it and then you know needing to tap again to 
to get the scooter going some more. And so the, the, um, the analogy here is that mindfulness can have that kind of momentum. And as we get more familiar with that momentum of mindfulness, we also then begin to see... You know that it. You know, we can just ride. It, it, it can just. We can just ride that wave of mindfulness, and it's just aware of what is happening. And then we start to get familiar with what it feels like for that mindfulness to begin to break down. It gets wobbly, and at that point, if you if you want to put in some effort, that would be a point where you could just like, oh, aware. Just the lightest touch of reminding yourself to be aware, and that might give you the next boost to carry forward. Um, so really the lighter the touch on mindfulness, especially in daily life, will be what we are interested in keep going, keeping going about. Because, you know, if we're doing mindfulness for its own sake, I'm supposed to be mindful because I'm supposed to be mindful, you know, that, that's not very interesting. <laughs> but to be mindful in order to understand what the mind is doing and how it gets caught and what, how it does what it does. I mean, it's kind of an amazing machine. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like we, we each become our own naturalist. We each become our own scientist in how our own minds work. And it's, it, you know, it can be fascinating, I think, when, when, when people start to get a flavor of this, it, there's a natural curiosity that starts to happen about, you know, just settling back, like being a naturalist, a naturalist in going through the world, let's say certain kinds of naturalists. Some, some naturalists might, like, take a, take a tree and cut it down and, like, put it into machines and tear it apart and try to figure out what it is. But, you know, a certain kind of naturalist is going to walk through the world and just watch and not interfere with what's happening. And that's the kind of mindfulness that we're interested in exploring in daily life. Is like, what's here? What's here? And it's possible for the mind to see what it does. You know, that mindfulness can just reveal what's already happening. And so that's the, I guess that's the encouragement. Um, and so, you know, when you have that kind of sense of don't want to be mindful... It could be, I mean, sometimes what can happen there, there's, there's, there's one reason that might happen is just that, you know, picking it up, doing it, you know, trying too hard, essentially, trying to do the mindfulness instead of allow, receive the experience that's already happening. Another reason that can happen is, and some of you have talked about this, when we become mindful of difficulty, it's really hard to be with it. It's like, I don't want to see that right now. You know, it's like, that's, or if we try to, if we try to bring mindfulness to a very challenging pattern, we end up getting pulled into that pattern. And so we've talked about strategies of letting go, stepping aside, putting attention elsewhere. And so, you know, if you notice the mind saying, don't want to be mindful, check and see, is it that you've been trying too hard? I mean, if it's you're waking up into something and it's like you're more interested in the thing than in being mindful, probably you're trying to do the mindfulness. And so instead be curious about how might I be able to do this and let mindfulness go along for the ride? If you're noticing that um, heaviness, that sense of 
can't be with this right now, don't try to force yourself to be with it, but kind of bow to it hmm. and say, yeah, we'll be, we'll, we'll, I'm here, you know, I'm not going to like try to stop you, but let's just pay attention to something else. Um, yeah, so those are my thoughts on that. Thanks. One thing I'll, I'll, a couple pieces actually, um, let me make some notes so I don't forget them. Uh, um, so, you mentioned the, um, the fear that comes in seeing the truth, and that, that, is, that is absolutely, yes, I mean, the, the thing about we can't handle the truth, and um, it's, it's very humbling. And yet, um, that is our practice to explore that relationship. You know, the deepening of the practice unfolds through exploring our relationship to those truths. Um, and one of the, you know, actually one of the great things in a way about the deepening of our practice and, is that it can completely respect our relationship to that truth. And in fact, it unfolds through seeing that relationship. So um, when there is fear coming up around, whoa, you know, it's like when the more continuous mindfulness gets, the more we see just like how little control there actually is. Um, And the fear that comes with that, the... uh, just, to, just to, to kind of make this very clear, because sometimes we think when we see something like fear, it's like, okay, I see this truth of things are out of control and I need to meet that. I need to meet that truth that things are out of control. And it's almost like we push through the fear to be with that truth. And what the practice actually asks us to do is open to the fear. Um, Respect the fear. And the fear, I mean, the wisdom will develop to meet the truth by meeting the fear. So uh, that's that's actually a pretty important piece. um, That uh, it's something about our our agenda is to think, you know, the fear's in the way of being with the truth. And actually the fear is the path towards, the, the awareness of the fear is the path towards being with the truth. So uh, when there is fear arising, if you can open to the fear, Great. If you can be with that fear. Sometimes there's an additional reaction around the fear, which is, wow, I can't handle this fear even. And, you know, then step back again. You know, can, can you recognize the aversion to the fear? And it, it may be a point where it's like, no, can't even handle that, so let me, like, change the channel. If you, but if you can, it's like, there, so there's something going on. And this, this relates to not only things like seeing the truth and the the deepening of the practice around beginning to contact the impermanent, unreliable, out-of-control nature of experience, um, but also to just 
you know, being with fearful situations in our lives, you know, this meet the fear, respect the fear. The fear is a signal in your mind that there's there's um, something that feels like it needs to be protected. And that whole thing that it feels like it needs to protect is simply a process. It's, there's not a thing there to protect. But, um, but at the same time, you know, if we, if we don't respect that fear, um, that underlying uh, process that is trying to be protected, it's, it's like... It's like the, the, fear, the fear needs to be seen through with wisdom rather than with force. I think that's the best way to put it. The fear needs to be seen through with wisdom rather than force. And when with wisdom the, the mind understands that this fear is not even necessary, then what needs to feel protected doesn't need to feel protected anymore. So, so that's one, one piece around the fear. Um, and then another thing you said about the self not having agency. And this is something I've been exploring and thinking about you know, a little bit. Um, selfing is a process. And you know, there is no thing solid, stable, that we call self. And that, that, that what we tend to call self is a mistaken idea of mistaking a process for a thing. We do that about a lot of things. Um, And yet that process of self, it is is in a sense an after effect of, you know, it's kind of like there's agency happening and the mind attributes, I did that to that process and then that process of agency is rolling in the mind that process of I'm doing that is rolling in the mind and that process itself has agency and so while there is no thing of self the selfing process does have agency (laughs) And it contributes. I mean, it's like it contributes to the unfolding of our life. And so sometimes I I say to people, you know, um, if it feels like you have a choice, make a skillful one. You know, so that that sense of self feeling like it's here, it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't serve us too well to say, oh, this sense of me, of mine, is all an illusion, so why do anything? You know, that sense of me, of mine, is a process that is part of our organism that's designed to allow us to maneuver in the world. Our mistake is in believing it to be something, and yet it is a process that um, does make choice, can make choice. And so if it feels like there's a me here... (laughs) Um, rather than having the sense of oh this me here this is this me doesn't is isn't is illusory so it it can't make any choices so I'm not going to make any choices. That's probably a mistake too. So um, you know, if it feels like there's a, a choice, 
make a, make a skillful one, move in that direction towards wisdom. Yeah. There's probably time for one more, a short one. 